Happiness is the flame in the fog that guides us towards achievement, satisfaction, and happiness. If you build your own purpose into a burning fire, others will see it and they will follow it. Now, you've probably heard the P word used a lot recently. And frankly, you may be thinking it's a load of BS. And you're right if it's just a word. But when purpose is truly discovered and harnessed, it is a superpower for you and your business. There never has been a more important time for purpose-driven businesses than right now. I know from my own experience that the best people will choose purpose over money every time. And today's guest, James Hartley, he knows this too. James is the global head of HR for Swiss Re's group operations and global functions. James's team and their work affects some 9,000 people at Swiss Re. And James is convinced that finding a person's why and connecting with their purpose creates a strategic and commercial benefit for the business. I hope this episode effectively makes the case for harnessing purpose in your life and how it will give your business an edge in the increasingly competitive world that we work in. So without further ado, I give you James Hartley. James Hartley, welcome to the Talent Equals podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much, Will. Really good to connect with you again and looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. Thank you. Well, James, it's probably fair to say that you and I are fans of purpose-driven culture and strategy, right? So we are, maybe we could be described as fanboys, right? And what I suppose I want from this conversation is not just to be like us agreeing with each other all the way through. So, well, we can, of course. Um, but I thought what might be interesting is if we take, you know, we think about this this idea of purpose in work and how how important it is actually for people to connect to a larger mission of the firm through like day-to-day activities, how they use it as a superpower for action. And, and the way I'd like to sort of lead into this conversation with you would be to, let's take an archetype, right? An archetype is someone who might be difficult to convince about purpose and its effectiveness. And we could think of maybe like an investor or, or a private equity person, right? Someone who is really focused on the bottom line, someone who's focused on achieving like 100x in a business, um, and, and I want us to sort of think about why they should be interested in purpose as a performance strategy, right? And so to sort of get there, um, maybe we could start with a bit of an origin story of some of sorts by you explaining how a blizzard, a snow lift closure, a black run, your novice husband who's a skier, or how all of that connected together to you finding like purpose in work and a journey towards that. Thanks, Will. And I mean, just to start off by saying I, where I do agree with you is that I've absolutely drunk the Kool-Aid on on purpose and purpose-led leadership. I think it's probably unlocked the most potential in my own leadership and what I've seen in, in teams. So uh, uh, whilst we might disagree on whatever else comes in the conversation, I think that's uh, <laughs> an important Point to start. Um, the, the the story that you're referring to was a post I wrote on LinkedIn, which was actually in the context of our new people strategy at Swiss Re. 
um, where we were setting out what was our North Star, what was it that guided the organisation, what was our sense of purpose and how could we connect um, employees in HR with that sense of, of mission and purpose. Um, and it was a, an interesting analogy from a, a skiing perspective that we knew what the mission was, which was to get from the top of the hill to the bottom. Um, but how do you lean on others to help you when you can't see where you're going? How can you depend on others? How can you make that connection with a very visceral reality? Um, how can you navigate obstacles using that sense of purpose to achieve something that, that you didn't think you, you could do? So uh, a, a bit of fun to, uh, to, to take what was a, an, an interesting skiing experience into the reality of, of purpose and purpose-led leadership. Mm. So you made it down the, the mountain successfully, right? Because you're here smiling at me and, and your husband made it okay or is he still no, up No, he, he's definite, definitely down and, <laughs> and, and still, still talking. We haven't, booked, we haven't booked another skiing holiday yet, but uh, the sense of purpose will uh, still endure. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I encourage everybody to have a listen to that. I'll have a read of the article, actually, because I thought it was an interesting way of you know, thinking about um, overcoming problems in the face of adversity and how you know you, you talked in the article about keeping this sense of the objective the reason why we're doing it in in focal point and then that was a, a great way to then have courage to take action right and so there was a couple of things i picked up there which was like courage um action like vulnerability because people are scared when you're skiing and it's and it's a whiteout and so there's lots going on there. And I, it's interesting to see how these situations connect to the workplace. So like, how do you see that connecting? I, I think for me that the whole question of purpose is around creating that North Star. It is about the thing that gives you clarity, that gives you focus and, and gives you direction. And without that sense of purpose, it's really easy to go off piste, to not end up at the same direction, not have overcome obstacles as you go along. Um, and, and, and perhaps bringing it back to, to the, the question you asked about, well, what, why does it matter? And, and there are, I think, a couple of things that are really important for me. Firstly, is that that sense of purpose should guide and influence the decisions that we make. It's not just something abstract. It's the filter to decide what we do and don't do in our daily lives and, and in our working lives. Mm. Um, the second is that it, it really makes that emotional connection. I think we're all aware of corporate jargon and data overload and how do you actually cut through to have something that gives you gives conversations a, a deeper meaning and a and a deeper impact and i think the th the third thing is really around deepening your own self-awareness um, of the things that you're going to be good at and the things that you're going to contribute to so it, it for me is a way of aligning that personal energy with a team or organization energy and the reality is the more 
we're aligned with our personal emotions, with our aspirations, and what we end up doing, the bigger the impact is going to be on on any organization's success. Well, there's a lot there, right? And I'm I'm like I'm pulling to mind this sort of <laughs> this character then of this this person who maybe rolls their eyes. Oh my god, they're talking about purpose again. And I think you make an interesting point for me there, which is that purpose should be about something meaningful. Like it, it's about, you said, deepening the conversation, making those conversations more meaningful. And that can be quite a vulnerable state for people, right? To go, well, I'm here because I want to raise my family. I'm a, I'm a single parent, for example, or I'm doing this because I'm the first one in my family to have gone through university, or I'm... You know, there's whole many reasons. I'm I'm here because I, you know, I want to overcome some, I don't know, some 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 sense of insecurity that I have in my work. There's lots of reasons why people are motivated day to day, but when, but it's hard at times to really connect to that. So, you know, but when we're in a working environment and it can be dangerous, it feels a bit dangerous to 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 be like that, to to be vulnerable and to talk to others. So, how do you overcome that? That's like that's really difficult. And, and is it appropriate? Well, well, I, well, I think it is because the, there's a really important guiding principle that, that struck me over the last few years as I've worked uh, around my own sense of purpose and purpose-led leadership, which is around if you get to know yourself better and you get to know others better, you will build stronger relationships on the back of which you can create joint movement. So... The, the very fact to use some of your examples of understanding what is a driver for somebody, what's their own lived experience, what, it, what is influencing their decisions will help you have a better relationship with that individual. And if we can learn from, be inspired by people around us, it has to have a positive impact on the organization. If we know, for example, that somebody's purpose is becoming the first in their family to do it or just to survive or to thrive, it, it will influence the conversations that we have with them. We'll be able to take some of those factors into account when we interact with them. We'll understand what their motivators are and what their their drivers are. And that, for me, is where... The whole concept elevates from just a nice to have or from a difficult conversation to something that's really uh, meaningful and a bonding experience that actually has has impact. I'm hearing in that that all of this, like all of these tools that we're using are about developing trust. Right. And I'm. You know, I'm a huge believer that ultimately, like a one of my values I search for when I'm doing my job and interviewing people is integrity, right? And at the basis of integrity is people trusting, like the version of you that they were going to receive every day. And trust is also then this universal currency of communities. It's like how they are welded together is based on can I trust you to show you my failure? Can I trust you to be to give you the feedback that you may not want to hear, right? Um, I, I think maybe this might be an, an awesome time cause to, to bring you up on something you said earlier, which was you're drinking your own Kool-Aid here, that this is something you've experienced. So like, like all of this, how, is it, how did you become you know, uh, an advocate for this way of working? What was that Kool-Aid? 
Um, so I, I think there were a, a couple of things that came together at, at the same time. So firstly, I, I'd been thinking a lot about my own leadership and my own impact and inheriting, as I did when I joined Swiss Re, the largest team that I'd, I'd ever led, um, which, which challenged my own leadership style. I, I think secondly, joining a team or joining an organization that had a deep sense of purpose um, was a, a strong influencer on me. Um, practically, seeing a, a team that didn't have a strong raison d'etre um, and on mm. a personal level, actually becoming fed up with going to events where I had to introduce myself by what I was doing rather than who I was uh, as an individual mm. or why I was here. Um, and, and that coincided with having a, a, a really unique experience in one of Swiss Re's inaugural leadership programs, which focus very much on those themes of personal purpose and accountability and seeing the impact that it had and building those relationships and then coming back and translating it into action really ignited the um, my whole movement and, and, and philosophy mm. around it. So I hear in that there was like some some levels, right? You've You've stepped up your own personal journey. You're like you're a professional. There's, there's Mr. James Hartley, senior HR man at a, a multi-billion um, organization like Swiss Re with 15,000 employees. That's a big step. And you're thinking like, okay, I need to lead in a way that is true to me. And as I'm introducing myself and working, I need to be true to myself to give the, the best of, of myself. And then you're talking also then about that being introduced to you as a, a, a methodology that's a better way to operate. And I, you know, it was interesting in, in a previous conversation I've had with an author called uh, Tanya Luna, who does very interesting training work and has a book which also focuses on, part of it focuses on this idea of meaning behind our work and the motivations. And it became quite clear to me that, and it, and it is quite clear that I think as humans, we earn over a certain level. And in organizations particularly where most people are earning above like a medium income, like they're earning above 50,000 pounds into like, you know, six figures for example money stops being the motivator for people as such it stops being like the, the the dial you can turn it all of a sudden starts being about meaning impact relationships purpose those are the things that really allow people to keep going right and so if you are driving an organization that's that has to get stuff done in an environment where money can't be the core motivator then You've got to embrace purpose. You've got to go deeper, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I wonder first of all what your your thoughts are on that before we maybe dive back into how Swiss Re kind of have leveraged it and where you've seen yeah, it. Yeah, I, th I think it's a it's a really good point, and and the pivot is around it, it being away from being all about you to being all about others uh, and looking at mm. your your impact in a different way. So. I mean to illustrate that. Well, if you know, if I share my purpose, which is about deploying my whole self, head and heart, to enable positive and sustainable change, and to help individuals, teams, and organisations be more than they see in themselves, stepping out of their comfort zones with confidence. It's a completely different mindset and focus than I would have taken five years ago, where my 
purpose would have been around if I defined one, which uh, I hadn't, would have been about achievement, delivery, my career, my impact. But I think when you put yourself in the position of, of servant leadership and look at your impact through the lens of others, then it, it dramatically shifts the, the, the direction. Um, and for me, looking at the EMEA team, which, which I inherited, it, it wasn't about me. It was about unlocking the potential and bringing the, the connection for this group of fabulously talented individuals. I love that. I love that because it's so nice not to be focused on ourselves relentlessly. <laughs> and uh, this idea of giving to others is this really abundant state. Um, and I, you know, I've thought a lot on servant leadership and why it's so powerful. And I think that's probably why I think it is, is that we, we stop having to be so narcissistic, so much worrying about our own journey and start thinking about others and empowering other people. And through that just becomes this really virtuous circle of trust, you know, um, you know, compassion, uh, resilience, uh, happiness, <laughs> prosperity. It's like this continually building on it and it's a really abundant state. Um, so I find that I find that very, very encouraging to hear senior people talking about it. And it seems to be that it is being talked about more. And you're, you said in it that, is. and is that you, you wanted to bring your whole self, which is about authenticity. So, yeah, I mean, I have a question there, if I may, um, before you want to come back on that, because it was one that was me. It was like this idea of, do we always want to bring our full self to work? Do we always want to be this everything or do we want to hold something back you know have something for our private life you know where does that balance go in in terms of bringing our whole self all the time i think it is it is a balance um but but what we're talking about is being authentic and it's being true to to yourself um so I, I, I'm a great believer in in bringing your whole self to work. I think the barriers that we put up for ourselves when we don't, whether it's hiding um, our sexuality or not being true to our drivers, we're going to always invest emotional energy in in cocooning ourselves and and protecting mm. ourselves, and that emotional energy could be well used. Um, for our own well-being or for, for the well-being of, of the organisation. But, but that said, bringing our whole self to work does have to be contextual and relevant. What we're not talking about here is a, a Twitter stream of consciousness sharing, you know, whether you had an argument with your husband about <laughs> not doing the, the washing up or, you know, what you had for, for breakfast. We're, we're having authentic, purposeful conversations mm. to, to build relationships that are meaningful and impactful. So it's, yes, it's bringing your whole self to work, but it's doing it in a thoughtful way. So when I was sharing with my team my experiences um, of being a gay teenager or being adopted or my early life experiences, it wasn't just for the sake of, of dumping it there, it was to talk about how do we build relationships? What are some of the influences? What are some of the things that I've overcome? What are the lessons that, 
that I've learned. So it, it it has to be right. It has to be situational. And you know, I'm not suggesting that we interrupt a, a board meeting to share a school experience and and then move on. I'm I'm talking about not hiding things that allow others to access to access who you really are. Um, and mm. you know, e- equally, I think two two things. Um, we need to know when enough is enough. So I think it was Brené Brown that was saying so wisely. We're, what we're not what we're not encouraging is dozens of executives weeping every day into their into their cornflakes. <laughs> you know, we are talking about them being open and authentic. And, and secondly, and really importantly, I think it is the key to building a truly inclusive environment. We can only capture the power of we if we're open to having conversations and listening to others' lived experiences. And our lived experiences, Mm. for most of us, are as much outside of work and who we are as in work and what role we do. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I, I'm I'm a full believer in this actually, and I think that you know again if you're if you're someone listening to this who's maybe even slightly you know um, uncertain about using this strategy, I can only tell you that you know what what I hear in that is is it's this way of instead of closing yourself down to certain talents, you're actually just opening up your talent pool to even more people, you know, to more great people who would otherwise disregard your organisation because they just don't think it's somewhere that's going to accept them for who they are. And my God, there are a lot of people who feel that way. And so the more that we can allow people to be authentically who they are um, and bring that full self, then the wider your talent pool is, the more people you have to go and do fantastic work, right? And increasingly, we're all competing in in ever-shrinking talent pools. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a practical philosophy, a practical business tool as well, right? Um, I, it, it really is. And it goes one step further, uh, as we touched on earlier. It allows people to really connect with what their strengths are and what their passions are. So uh, in the new role I'm, I'm in now, I, I've made it a priority that everybody who joins my team gets three hours with a coach to define what their personal purpose is talk about how they can bring it into the workplace and then do some do some feedback on it and some of those moments of self-awareness where people are talking about or actually capturing for the first time what it is that really drives them what's right at the core it it suddenly unleashes this untapped potential and and, and makes connections that they that that just simply weren't there before and, and with that self-realization, they know, for example, cutting through something is what gives them energy. Then let's look for them to find opportunities where they can cut through stuff rather than putting them in projects where we know they're going to be constantly blocked. If their passion is unleashing, unleashing the power in others, then don't put them in, 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 in an individual contributor role mm. and it's something as mm. as simple as as that now i, I recognize will we all work in a, in a corporate environment and we don't have free reign to choose everything that we do and we sometimes have to do things that we don't like but in that context if we can find a way as an organization to 
give people more opportunities to do what they're brilliant at, what they're passionate about and what really matters to them, they're going to be more fulfilled, they're going to be more engaged and they are absolutely going to deliver more to the organisation as a result. So it's, mm. it's something I absolutely believe philosophically, but I also believe it's actually something really practical and, and tangible as well that does make a difference. Yeah, I hear that. And I think most people will go, oh yeah, of course, if, um, <laughs> if we've got somebody who knows that generally they're understood, that they're actually seen and they know that, yes, I like impact. I like doing roles that helps get stuff done. Yes, I've got to do that crappy role for three months, but I know that you know that I know <laughs> that I don't like doing that and I'll, I'll put up with it, all right? And I'll live through it because we understand the sacrifice we're making for the whole. And, um, and that's where I think you said it's, you know, it's not always going to be you know, sunshine and rainbows. It's going to be you know, rain clouds and hailstorms at times, right? And, and that's where having relationships with people which are actually authentic help us like keep the fire burning even when it's raining absolutely but but also keep reinforcing that north star because it's actually mm. in the times of the the rain clouds and the fog and going the wrong way down a mountain that you need to be reminded of what your purpose is why are you actually doing that why does it matter and when we lose sense of that north star we've got no chance of navigating through the, the fog if we want to end up at the right place. And that's why it's really important that it's constantly checking back with ourselves. Are we still clear on the purpose? Is the purpose still the same? Are we working towards the, a, a common goal? And if that needs to adjust, so be it. But it's not just skiing blind and hoping for, for the best. You mentioned the word coach, given your... your um... The team members are coach for three hours, and I think it's great because I think actually the the last again another conversation we had, I came to this this thought that being a great leader, a great manager, is actually about being a great psychological coach. <laughs> you know, helping guide people, opening up areas maybe they hadn't understood about themselves. Um, and I, I so I wonder about like practically what you've seen come out of those coaching sessions. Is it have you seen, like, have people been reporting back to you they want to continue to do it? Is anybody uncomfortable? What have been some of the, yeah, and what do you think about that being a psychological coach as much as being a great manager? Yeah, so I, th I think to your, to your earlier point, the, you know, the, the, the biggest gift is, is not giving knowledge, it's giving opportunity um, and creating a space for somebody to reflect on who they are and what they want to bring. I think he's, you know, it's probably one of the biggest gifts uh, as a leader that you can you can offer um the the experience has so far been really positive um even with people who are skeptical they've leaned into the conversation and have absolutely taken something out of it um and, and i think that self-awareness that we talked about before is something that you then see coming through very strongly in the in, in the teams. I, I would make a, an important point, though, Will, that obviously we've had the luxury of being able to invest in coaching for, for some of our team members. But for some of your listeners who don't have that, this doesn't need to be an expensive exercise or big investment. It is about having a conversation. So in, in the EMEA team that I ran before, we ran it as a very 
simple exercise. People worked on their personal purpose statement, shared it with a group of colleagues, um, invited feedback on it, and asked those colleagues to share an example of where they seen that person living it or, or or an example of it. And that's a very simple, intuitive um, exercise that doesn't need a lot of planning, doesn't need a massive change program or a, or a huge budget. It is about helping people develop that self-awareness and have conversations. Totally. And, and I suppose it's just about creating then the space as a leader for that to take place, right? Because you know, it's not the sort of thing you can probably just do over email um, or like, you know, in a snatch five minutes, you need to actually create time. So if you're a startup with very little money, it's probably easier to get everyone around a table. Let's talk about these things. Let's define what our purpose is. Is that, this is actually a nice connection because you, you know, you're, You've got this little book of why, right? And it's, uh, I know you've got, maybe you get sick of being asked about this because it's like a cool little concept, but is that, this, this book of why, is that what you just described to me? This idea of creating this all down and having it written down? And Yeah, it, 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 was, it was exactly that. So whilst we shared the personal purpose and the stories around it within small groups, creating the little book of why was an opportunity to, to spread that that widely as a I think as as two things as an inspiration to see what connected other people um, as the glue actually of our team so understanding the the, the team better and a, a guide for when you started a conversation with somebody if you read what their personal purpose was it's a great introduction to to a conversation yeah. so rather than tell me about your job or this project i read that this is what motivates Let, let's have a conversation around that because to to your point about what's the purpose of this the, the purpose is to build human connections and we're all living in the digital age we're all overwhelmed with constant flow of information a constant set of deliverables um if we are going to be truly successful in in the digital age yes we need to embrace technology and we need to dial up all that that brings but we have to invest time in us as humans and human relationships and creating and discussing and talking about a shared sense of purpose is a great cheap way of of, of doing that but it's so topical right now isn't it as well with what we're facing with climate change and the cop 26 coming up and you know these very big abstract terms of climate change and you know actually what we're talking about is helping each other helping people who are in countries maybe we don't even see about you know having relationships and having a community and driving towards something which is great for everyone it's you know, yes, it's it's so it's so relevant right now. I'm and as ever it has been. And I mean, I mean, ultimately, James, I know you and I are standing on the shoulders of giants here because this is ancient philosophy, right? This is you know, I'm I'm a I'm a interested Stoic and thinking about their principles and pillars of philosophy. And these are people who lived thousands of years ago, and they're talking about you know courage, you know, willing acceptance, you know, taking action having clear perception, you know, being a good person, all these qualities that we're really aiming at here 
and just helping people uncover in themselves and talk about. So and, um, and I think to that point that yeah. it, it is a dialogue that needs to, to happen because it, it, in the wealth of information, those are easy things to either deprioritize or that get lost. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, if we believe in, in people-centric businesses, we have to have conversations about people not just about process. I mean, hallelujah to that. I told you, uh, listeners, that we may at times start to agree to with each other a lot on some of these things. Um, and so I, um, I think actually that's that, I want to like bang this drum just one final time. And I wonder what you think about this insight or this thought I've had and you know, observation. I, I, do, I do a lot of work focused on diversity. Um, and often that, that question of diversity comes down to female versus male, particularly in the finance industry. There's can be positions in, in industry areas and, and in technology where there's just not a lot of women. And I've been recognizing that there's a new generation of female leaders coming through um, who are approaching leadership in a wholly different way. They're actually, I think, now bringing much more of the feminine approach. They're feeling that they can be authentically themselves as a woman in leadership and, and not have to say, be apologetic for not being maybe more masculine in a certain approach and um you know i have heard at times actually it's said that oh that candidate doesn't have gravitas or didn't have quite as much um you know impact or looked a bit young and i have sometimes i had to uncover and unpick those because i think ultimately what we're what we're what that was shading was a certain stereotypical view of what leadership should be it should be the masculine it should be this alpha it should be done in that way and i suppose the reason I'm, I'm highlighting this, this observation for me is actually Mr. Investor or <laughs> business owner, a person thinking about this, is again what we're doing and talking about is opening up a new talent pool. It's by letting people be authentically who they are. We, we access a whole new group of talents who we would otherwise you know, lose to these archetypes and these cliches that we think of. So... Yeah, I wonder what you think about that. There's a lot there, um, and, and like that that idea. <laughs> um, I, I, I'd love to that that to be the point on which we disagree, Will, but but it's not. Um, we'll, we'll, but we'll keep trying to find it. Yeah. You know, for for me, it's it, it's it's really actually very simple. All, all we're doing is opening up the opportunity for different perspectives to more closely mirror the makeup of society. Uh, you know, and it's, and we know that with different perspectives that reflect a lived reality, we are going to make better informed decisions. And for me, that's not about targets or quotas or or anything else. It is about realizing that different perspectives make us stronger, and the more different perspectives we have, the better the better we'll be. And Mm. But, you know, it might sound simplistic, but but that for me is the really critical factor with it. Oh, totally. I mean, I I think actually the word resilience, and I know Swiss Re talk about you know building a more resilient world. Um, I say often that resilience is one of the key factors I look for in candidates, and I think why a team is more resilient when you have more points of view, because simply put, you can see more problems. If I come from a low income family, um, and I've grown up seeing the world in one way, I can spot a problem with a business or a product that maybe someone who comes from a privileged background might not. And equally, they may see an opportunity that the other person doesn't. And it's exactly the same, you know, gay, straight, female, black, white, you know, 
all of those perspectives, those different ways of seeing the world make us a more complete team and we can spot more potential risks to what we're doing as a group, right? Yeah. So um, uh, make us more resilient. It, mm. it, it does, but, but two things I would say. One, I think, is recognising that that's not easy. Um, le leading a diverse team with diverse <laughs> perspectives is infinitely harder than than leading a team that that has a a, a mono view and i think mm. we, we we need to ref, respect that and reflect that in in how we coach and, and deal with um develop line managers but the second thing is this is where the sense of purpose becomes even more relevant that yes you might have a multitude of diverse perspectives and backgrounds but unless you're harnessing those diverse perspectives towards some North Star, all you've mm. got is a series of diverse perspectives and potentially mm. chaos and, and fragment and, and a fragmented approach. The more you can corral that to some bigger picture, some more meaningful purpose, something that connects those different perspectives, you're going to have a much harder time gluing and holding all of those things things together absolutely and i i think it's it's a nice point to note and sort of summarize where we're at in the conversation so far so um we've talked about why purpose is important and because it allows us to to harness a deeper sense of meaning create more resilient organizations because we have more human connections and we can allow more people to take part in the objective that we have but really crucially as well, what, what writing all this down, what, what communicating this does is it helps point us in the right direction of travel. And so when we have even small teams or large teams, they can all connect together with a, a clear North Star direction. That's where we're going. This is what we want to be as an organization and as a community. Keep reinforcing that and it allows us to know how to take action when, when presented with a whole range of possible situations. Absolutely. And using it as a filter for your decisions. Cool. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, do you know what? This is actually another thing I talk about with values is that um, why I'm actually long on values-based recruitment now versus competency-based recruitment. Um, and what that means to the listeners is that, like, you know, historically, so much recruitment has been focused on, you know, can you do the job? You know, what are your, your technical expertise? And values may came a bit later. But the reason I think values are so important is because it's like the values are actually the way that you implement your competencies. So, you know, if you are hiring for the right now, yeah, get, get, get someone with competencies uh, and, the, you know, they need to do the job in six months. But those competencies invariably at some point will become obsolete. And so what happens and you have to retrain the person and what becomes even more important is their values because the values are the way that they're going to they're apply any new skill that they have or the way that they can approach any situation. And so that's what we're getting at, right? It's why I think it's hard, really hard to interview for values. You're absolutely right, by the way. It's, you know, it's, it's difficult managing a diverse group of people, but it's worth investing in. Um, and I can tell you time and time again, I start to founders who are, who are talking like this. Um, yeah, do you have any observations on that? I'd, I'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, um, 
I think you're right. I mean, the, the, there is a reality that there is stuff that still needs to get delivered and an unqualified mm. person isn't potentially going to be able to, to deliver yeah, it. So, so we're never going to lose sight of that. But as you say, w- when you think about a, a capability half-life is now, I think, two years down from 15 to 10 to 5 over over the last decade, um, you are going to be in a perpetual refreshing cycle of your organisation. Mm. Um, and in order to do that, people who've got purpose and passion and a positive mindset and are motivated to make change happen, people who've got a learning agility or a, a curious or who are willing to drive change are ultimately going to have a, a, a far longer life in your organization than if you've just hired for one micro skill, which is then superseded by the next evolution of cloud version X million. You know what? That, this was actually succinctly put by Ray Dalio um founder of uh, Bridgewater, world's largest hedge fund in his book, Principles. And he said, of all the recruitment he's done, you know, the greatest indicator of having a long-term relationship with a candidate or someone joining your organization is to assess for, for values. Um, and yeah, it's, and it's so obvious. I mean, the way that you put it then is exactly the point. And I think maybe let's, let's talk about specifically how you've seen it because your listeners may be thinking like, okay, guys, I get it. You guys like purpose and values. I'm, I'm bought into that. Um, let's, let's go practical, right? Um, and Swiss Re is one of the world's, is the world's biggest reinsurer. It's a, an old historic organization with, you know, lots of uh, working in insurance, which is traditionally a quite a conservative industry, been doing the same thing. But it's also been under, undergoing now recently a big transformation. You know, it's been going from to, towards, sorry, being a sort of a, a data and technology enabled risk knowledge company. I think that's the title, right? And what listeners maybe think is that is that this is giving, I've heard it put as giving grandma some funky trainers, right? It's like, you know, um, and how do in all of that, like, does per, you know, you've got to attract a whole new group of people into that organization, right, to, 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 for technology and all of these new functions that you're creating. And so, yeah, I, I would like to sort of get you to talk about how what you've been doing has actually been helping that. Um, and I hope it has, obviously, otherwise we're a little screwed here for our whole <laughs> <Yeah>. thesis. <laughs> so, yeah, um, go, yeah, go ahead, launch off as you, you would like to talk about that with Swiss Re. Um yeah, it's 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 a really good point, and you know we've shared that joke about giving shiny trainers to to grandma, but it it goes far deeper than than something that's that's superficial. It it mm. is a it is a fundamental preparation for for the future, uh, effectively. Um, but I think where where it gets really interesting is that. That you now have to accommodate uh, the existing with the new, and hiring all of these new skills and, and new capabilities need to coexist alongside your more traditional roles, which you still need in in the organisation. And the reality is that 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 actually makes an organisation culture more complex than it than it was before. Um, and in order to be able to accommodate that, at the risk of repetition, coming back to a clear sense of purpose is 
is absolutely critical in in that. Um, but there are some other things that are important as well. Um, a, a different operating model becomes key if you're bringing in super fast paced skills, high pace of delivery, agile ways of thinking, and you've got a hierarchical waterfall structure. You're, you're heading for a car crash in in that and therefore being open to creating different teams thinking about self-organized teams as we've done moved um, most of the infotech organization into a true agile way of working these are some of the additional things that you need to think about as well in terms of uh, of how you make that work Interestingly, career management then takes on a whole different lens. If you are hiring people that might have experienced a new technology or a different data use case in a different environment, but you want it, you've got to get more used to a fluid, fast-changing environment. And therefore, having career plans that give you you a 20-year projected career path just aren't going to work because people are going to have to pivot, learn a new skill, move laterally. Uh, and therefore, that that dynamic has to be really carefully managed. And, and, I, and I absolutely wouldn't under, underestimate that. Um, and perhaps the, the, the biggest challenge is as you move towards that tech and data talent, Everybody across the HR across the organisation is suddenly a wannabe data expert, much like people wanted to be a. You know, everybody was an HR expert a, a few years ago, <laughs> yeah. and the the challenge with that is you risk a fragmentation of the organisation. So it's not like a a traditional organisation model where you said this particular set of skills exists in this particular job. And we can ring fence it and treat it nicely and give a learning path for it and, and, and everything mm, else. Mm. These data and tech skills exist in roles right across the organization. We in HR need to be data fluent. Actuaries need to have digital transformation skills. Underwriters need to be working with new complex models of data. And suddenly you find the themes of these job families being utterly dispersed across the whole organization and you need to therefore try and address it at at a meta level for the sake of the whole organization rather than just this small segmented talent pool or capability set that you've got sitting in a in a particular function that sounds complicated i mean it's like it's difficult isn't it moving an, an organization culturally from one way of going to something else and as i'm listening to that i can imagine people who have been doing the thing they've been doing for 10 years and I'm starting to realize that, oh, hang on a second, I might need to move laterally. I might need to change stuff up. Um, I might need to retrain entirely. Um, And I suppose then to do that thing requires some vulnerability to admit to it. Like, hey, manager, (laughs) I may think um, I need to change or I need to, to move this way. Um, can you help me make that move or I need to address this element of my work or you as a manager need to tell them that if they haven't realized. And all of that is predicated on trust. It's like what we've talked about, isn't it, is 
can you have those difficult conversations? Can you have those good conversations? And all of that comes down to, you know, you know that individual's into impact. You maybe know that person's into learning or work-life balance or whatever because you've invested the time early in getting to their purpose, enabling them at a single level to make the transition that you need into that data, that, that risk organization, whatever it may be, technology-focused organization. Um, and, and that's the practicality of what we're talking about, isn't it? These big, gnarly problems all start and finish with the person. It's people, isn't it? You know, it is absolutely. And whilst you and I will are passionate about purpose and have thought about our own sense of purpose, it's naive to think that everybody in the organisation has done the same. Um, and and therefore, it's it's really important that we do a, a number of things. One, that we, we are clear why there is a burning platform for change. Um, in a positive sense, i.e., that if you if you don't take positive steps forward, the organisation isn't going to get the best out of you, and from a skills perspective, you're going to get left behind. So, I think we do need to have that honesty in our conversations about the fact that the world is changing and and, and creating that that burning platform. Secondly, we've got to build that culture that focuses on learning so if you don't have a learning culture but then tell somebody they've got to learn new new skills to survive you're just not going to land anywhere so we really need to consciously invest in what is our learning culture how do we enable people to 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 access that learning and then thirdly as you rightly say making sure we make this personal not generic so at an organization level absolutely we need to talk about strategic workforce planning we need to define the skills and capabilities of the future what level of those capabilities do we need where are we physically going to locate those footprints Mm. that's an an absolute essential at a meta level for for the group or, or for any organization but to actually enable that you then need to have a conversation with an individual about what they're going to do about it. Because if you mm. just leave it at the meta level, it, you miss multiple layers of complexity until it's actually real for um, an, an individual, which comes back full circle to having courageous conversations, building trust, being vulnerable, creating impact. So what I think the challenge is for organizations today, and we're, we're no different in, in Swiss Re, is to try and make that a, a virtuous circle mm. where people see the positive benefits of mm. it rather than ignoring it, which then creates a, a negative circle with potentially unintended consequences for your ability to compete and deliver your transformation growth and innovation aspirations i think of this you know there's there's a great book part from good to great um that jim collins the classic jim collins book and he talks about kodak in that book and how kodak ultimately missed the opportunity to really pivot and develop into digital photography and ultimately focused on the culture of the organization because at some point in there somebody was not maybe multiple people didn't have enough courage or felt they could stand up and speak truth right um because they would have felt they would have been too vulnerable i mean this is conjecture on my part but i presume it must have been something like that and and every organization 
you know, an organization like Swiss Re, number one in the world, has to constantly be thinking about that as well. Like, you know, we've got to be fit for the future. We've got to have a culture which supports people standing up and saying, ah, I think there might be a problem here. We've got to develop this way. Yep. And that's the practicality for everyone, isn't it? That's like a why you do this, why you create these culture of, you know, openness and authenticity and you know, trust. Uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, agree. And uh, you know, one of the books that I've read recently is is Pivot to the Future, which is Accenture's story of its own journey, um, but also um, several hundred case studies. And and what they're talking about is in order to unlock the hidden value in an organisation, you have to constantly be reinventing yourself. And I think mm. it is. A misperception, but I can understand why it happens, that the reinsurance sector is traditional and conservative and isn't reinventing itself. But if I take Swiss Re as an example, you know, we look at something like IptoQ, um, which is our B2B technology platform. That's sitting right at the heart of a 150-year-old Swiss reinsurance company, but is now powering... Um, the insure tech platforms of um, several dozen partners. That's an example of having reinvented ourselves. If you look at our solutions that we're now providing to to clients, these are all data driven solutions that have expanded with the scale of data that's that's available to us. Um, so I think as, as an insurance industry, we actually don't do a good enough job of, of selling what's become second nature. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons why we don't. But if we are truly going to be able to compete for tech talent, we've got to be much more on the front foot of talking about what are the cool technologies we actually use? What do we use data for? How do we, as one of the world's largest aggregators of data, predict the patterns of the future? And, I'm, you know, it's really interesting as an aside, Will, when you were talking about climate change, you know, looking at how do we predict and understand climate change is a massive data mining exercise. Mm. Mm. And... In order to mine that data, we don't only need data scientists, we need climatologists and meteorologists and environmentalists. And if we can do a better job of showing how the insurance industry, and we're not alone in Swiss Re in doing this, of combining expert knowledge in some of those fields with data to provide solutions to close the protection gap to make the world more resilient, then we're doing ourselves a, a, a disservice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, do you know, I'm really glad. Thank you for creating the link I was going to try and create. So um, you've got a future job in podcasting there, James. Um, I, because this was actually going to think, I, I, one of the things that stuck with me about Swiss Re, everybody knows I'm a tree hugger, by the way, um, self-certified. But there was something really beautiful, like, in making the world a more resilient place. And Swiss Re talks a lot about climate change. And when you understand that as a reinsurer who has natural catastrophe risk to cover, has um, you know property risk to cover, has you know a whole range of diverse risks that you, you insure, at the heart of that is like climate, right? And so if, and I wonder though, as the firm, you know, is making some notable investments in, I think, Climeworks and, 
you know, has been very vocal as an organization about support for um, climate change, some really interesting reports. This is, again, connecting to a purpose, isn't it? A deeper purpose, like values of how we act. Um, and I do it in my own organization. We give 10% to forest protection because we're saying we're part of a bigger community. This is a speech of like who we are. It gives people in my organization and team a reason for doing what they're doing and gives them purpose um, beyond just money, beyond just the fulfillment of what we do. And, and I can see that. And I wonder what, you know, how you guys have, have talked about that. And have you seen any benefit of, as an organization, Swiss Re, talking about climate change, talking about it being a central pillar of your purpose as an organization to deal with it and try and fix it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I know you were saying it tongue in cheek, Will, but this goes far, far beyond being a tree hugger. You know, th this is about assessing the the biggest risk we we face as a as a planet and there is no bigger risk than than climate change so that that's the first point secondly it is absolutely a business imperative the organizations of the future that are going to survive are the ones that take this seriously um we're proud to have been one of the first um insurance companies that committed to net zero in our portfolio, net zero in our own um, operations. Uh, the third point is that th this for an insurance company isn't through an NGO lens. This isn't just about you know a, a feel good factor. This is about coming, pre predicting, preparing um, for, for those world's biggest risks. Um, and and so if we can close the protection gap, as I mentioned before, help more communities to be insured against these these perils, the the more um, the world will become more resilient. And so you know it, it is a commercial cycle as well as um, uh, uh, as well as an ethical and uh, and a moral one. And so for us, when we look at a, it being linked to our sense of purpose, but also our employer branding, that the two are absolutely integral, um, that we, we are looking for people who will help us deliver those um, solutions. So I think that, that's one side of it on, on the corporate side. Then on the employee side, what we've recognized is that we have to have a different conversation internally about climate change. We were struck by uh, an observation that came from our research that the employee carbon footprint of Swiss Re is probably six or seven times the size of Swiss Re's own footprint. Um, so if we really want to start making a difference, yes, as a corporate, we need to to act and, and we take those responsibilities seriously, but we also need to activate and engage the 15,000 people whose carbon footprint is far greater the, than ours. So um, I'm proudly the executive sponsor of Net Zero U2, which is our new employee education and engagement program, which gives employees the opportunity to measure their own carbon footprint and then be educated or made aware on how they might make uh, an, an impact or a difference on that. And we've set goals and aspirations for um, how we can 
do our best to reduce our carbon footprint and then remove the rest by supporting um, engagement in, in carbon removal technology. And something like this has genuinely a profound impact on the employee base. Clearly, you have the bell curve of those that are the climate evangelists, those that are the skeptics. But since we launched the program three or four months ago, we've got nearly 3,000 colleagues who have calculated their carbon footprint. Um, we've got nearly 100,000 deeds that have been committed to to try and reduce that, that carbon footprint. And over 200,000 messages read on our Net Zero U2 Yammer channel. So I'm absolutely convinced that this isn't just a nice to have for an organization. It is a moral imperative, but also becomes an absolute USP and differentiator for purpose-led individuals to who are looking for a, for a home to grow their career. Hallelujah to all of that, and and I think you know if we we go back to this 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 sort of um, archetype I I posed at the beginning of our conversation, maybe somebody who's still skeptical about this. You know, I can just tell you from a, from a talent perspective, it's just another reason why somebody would choose to come and work for you. You know, if they believe in climate change, and they, as most people do, if they believe that they want to have some impact, and your organisation is trying to do something about it. It's another reason to join you over the person and organisation that doesn't speak about it, and so it's just really practical now as well, yes, isn't it? On, on all, it's it's like we can talk about all these highly you know complex integrated strategies, but let's just get simple. Like also talk about something that people care about, act like actually mean you want to do something about it, and people will feel good about that. And and when it comes down to choosing you over another organisation, that will mean more than another ten. You know, maybe another ten thousand pounds. So, yeah, C complete, com completely <laughs> agree. Um, and you know, the, the, the you know, I don't like the the, the phrase "war for, for for talent," but it, it, if we are going to genuinely attract those people that I talked about with purpose and passion and mindset and motivation that I believe will make the biggest difference to organizations of the future. You, ha you have to tell and live a narrative that, that connects with them. I know what you mean by that. I know my own journey of giving 10% of revenue here at Exige has been one that it hasn't hasn't like transformed my business in as much as like everybody's gone like right, the doors are like just being like knocked off the hinges and everybody cares about it some people don't care about it some people are cynical about it like talked about that bell curve but the people who have said something to me have said you know what will that the fact that you give money away <laughs> is the most is like a really authentic statement to your values like it's more it's less bullshit it's more action and and that is where it matters with people. Like it, it may just mean the difference for another ten percent, twenty percent of people choosing you over someone else. May not, it may do, but I, I can also tell you though, my own experience when we start living with purpose and meaning is it makes the work more enjoyable. It really does. Uh, uh, absolutely, and, and what I was going to say, Will, is that it, even if other people don't get it or don't care about it, it doesn't stop it being the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, yeah. You know, and, and to to just to reinforce what you just said, if that gives a sense of purpose and meaning to you and to your organisation, your colleagues are going to be more engaged, more inspired, give more of themselves, and whether tangibly or intangibly that will filter through into your um 
your impact with with your clients. Now, I'm not saying that we should do that cynically and you know to to manipulate outcomes, but it is a natural byproduct of purpose-led organizations. You bring purposeful individuals who will give more of themselves. Mm. Hey, I tell you what, I, I don't mind being manipulated if it's for cool, nice, kind stuff. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes we need to manipulate ourselves more and more to uh, to make those good decisions. So I'm, uh, yes, I know what you mean, though, but I, I, I do feel like the more we all talk about this, the better. Um, I, I am mindful of your time, James, and I, I think I've, I've super enjoyed digging into the detail of purpose and like why and the tools and the per- how we utilize it for strategy and organizations. Thank you so much for that. I think... As we kind of come towards the end of the show now, I, I'd i love to sort of know a bit about, because we touched on something there, which is about well-being, almost like the, the, the good stuff. So I wonder if you might share sort of just with the audience, like a bit about like how you've come to manage your own well-being as we talk about purpose and, and everything else. So if you have any anything that you give to your team, any advice you do to manage their well-being or how you go about that yourself. And I, th- I think that'd be, because I know it's very inter- interlinked with purpose and, and being authentic is looking after yourself as well. It, it, it is, and there's, there's no silver bullet, Will, but I think the two things that have helped me the most, or three, three things actually, um, one is being my authentic self, um, because that has taken so much mental pressure away by pretending to be somebody else um so i think being my own authentic self um is probably the biggest impact um being grateful uh is is really important i think very often we get sucked up in what's wrong with the world what's wrong with an organization what's wrong with our project um but actually just taking a step back to think about yes that's true but what am i actually grateful for has a a huge relieving impact Uh, and the third thing is ask for help Um, it's something that uh, as humans in the workplace we don't do enough of for all the reasons that we talked about lack of trust feeling of vulnerability Um, but it, it you get massive breakthrough moments both psychologically and practically when you just turn around to a colleague and ask for help those are beautiful i i love those um you know authenticity right i think that's a great one you know um gratefulness as well like that sort of that's great and then you know vulnerability asking for help those are there's some really great print principles and pillars to live by so um i can advocate for those thank you for sharing those and um my favorite way to end the podcast because i am someone who loves books and podcasts and all of these good things um is to ask like three of your favorite books and if not books it could be a podcast or something else but you know do you have three favorite books that have really made an impact on you that you would much share with people it could be anything you like yeah, I do actually. So my so the first is An Equal Music by Vikram Seth, um, which is a, a beautiful love story um, with a background of, of music, uh, which I think just shines a, a, a beautiful light on relationships. Um, Unequal music, did you say? An equal music. Ah, an equal music. Okay, yes. wonderful. Okay. Uh, the, the second would be A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Hisani, which is a, a wonderful tale of the human spirit 
overcoming adversity. And, and then my third, I couldn't choose between the secret diary of Adrian Mole, which was a massive teenage influence, <laughs> uh, or A Year in Provence by Peter Mayle, which brings back very happy memories of my own year in Provence. Yeah, well, t- you can have both. You know, we're, okay. we're not we're not sticklers here to three. And I think you know, having Adrian Mole and uh, like juxtaposed with a, a sunlit Prov- um, Provence, that, that's great. I, I like that a lot. So I'm going to let them all 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 reside. Um, I just want to say thank you very much, James, for sharing all of your um, wisdom, but also your you know your story and for advocating as you have been for. Um, for purpose, because we need more people doing this, and more people being able to talk about their own vulnerabilities, their own journey to where they are. So, thank you, uh, thank you for sharing your story, and um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Will, thanks very much for for having me. I've really enjoyed the uh, the, the conversation, and uh, ho- hope we uh, brought to light some of the points of uh, agreement. And you know, w- what I would just say in closing around purpose led leadership. Is, is don't be intimidated or daunted by it. Start somewhere and, and start the conversation. Um, and from that, great things will, will flow. So thanks again, Will. Re- really enjoyed it. Perfect place to leave it. Have a great day. Thank you, James. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe or leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. So thank you very much. We also have a newsletter on our website, talentequals.com. So you can keep up to date with all of the things we're doing here at Talent Equals and the amazing guests that we have coming up this year.